Hey, I want to introduce somebody to you, uh, another just amazing friend and mentor of mine, uh, Ray Donatucci. Please come on up here, man. Uh, this is Ray Donatucci right here. So let's hear it for Ray. Um, Ray and I have known each other for probably 20 years, 20, 20 plus years. So in high school. Yep. So yeah, I wish. Um, Ray, Ray, uh, Ray has served with Young Life for how many years, man? <clears throat> a long time. Okay. It's been a while. Sorry. Um, but um, he, he hasn't qualified for AARP yet either. So yeah. But um, Ray, Ray, is, uh, Ray is a great friend of mine, a great mentor of mine, uh, incredible just heart for God and ability to help us understand a little bit more. So uh, we get the chance to hear from Ray today. So one more time, would you please uh, welcome Ray? So yeah, go get him, man. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, thank you. Really, I did know Jim when Jim was in high school. Um, that dates us a bit. Last week, Maurice uh, began a new series, When God Interrupts, and he made the point that when God interrupts, he also introduces something to us. I want to piggyback on that and maybe add a layer to it that when God interrupts, he not only introduces something to us, but he also is about helping us see something differently. Uh, I'm going to use the term, he helps us retell our story. We're gonna look at a person in a little bit who Jesus encounters and helps her retell her story. But I'm, I flash back, oh gosh, almost 30 years ago, I decided to take a sabbatical, pack up the family, and drive to Pasadena, California, where I was, where I was going to work on a master's degree. So we, uh, well, this really sort of turned out to be the trip from hell. Uh, we started packing and realized that our car was too small for what we needed to take for six, eight months in, in California. The night before we're to leave, I buy a minivan with a trailer hitch on it, and I pick up a small U-Haul trailer. That night, late at night, we packed it with some of what we might need for the next six to eight months. Early the next morning, we took out the middle seat of the uh, minivan, left that at home, put down sleeping bags and blankets. Our three kids sat on the floor in the back of the minivan. That's when you could do that legally. <laughs> and we proceeded to drive I-70 toward California. My wife, Janie, had packed all sorts of treats and uh, gifts for the kids and games for the kids and just stuff to keep them busy for a long road trip. Well, by the time we crested Vail Pass, all the food was consumed, all the gifts were opened. It was like, oh, Lord, we, we still got 18 hours here. What are we going to do? You know? So that was the first setback. The second setback is we're coming down Vail Pass into Vail, and there's this loud explosion in the car. The back window 
of the minivan just imploded. It, there must have been something going on between the U-Haul trailer and the back window. It just imploded on us. The kids are screaming. I'm trying to figure out how to get off the road in traffic. It was a mess. It's uh, the day before New Year's Eve. We're in Vail. We don't know how to fix this thing. So what do you do with a broken window when you can't find a window repair? You find cardboard and duct tape. And we put this big piece of cardboard across the back window, duct taped it. You know, within the first 10 miles, the duct tape's peeling off, flopping on the sides. You know, stop again, redo it. So now we've got, uh, we're way behind in schedule since we've done this. We're driving. It's miserable. It, I'm going, what have I gotten us into as a family? Really? You're going to move? I'm just kicking myself. We make it all the way to Las Vegas, but we can't afford to stay on the strip, so we stay in the glass bottom pool motel. Have you seen that? It's way off the strip. It's about 20 rooms. It's a motel. You pull up to the front of your door and you walk in, and it's, we're at the end, right up against the highway. So all night long, cars are going by. It's such a sketchy place. I sleep by the door. The family doesn't even want to get in the sheets in these beds. We're sleeping on top of it. It's miserable. We, uh, next day, drive. Now it's New Year's Eve. We drive into Pasadena. We have no food for dinner. We stop at a Vons in Pasadena on our way to a home that we have rented sight unseen. We've done it over the phone. Um, we stop, we get some food for dinner, we get back in the car, and uh, one of my kids turns to me and goes, Daddy, I think we were the only white people in that grocery store. I said, you're not in Boulder anymore, honey. Welcome to the world. But, I mean, it was like total culture shock for our three daughters. They, they'd never been in the big city before. We, uh, we drive then. Now it's almost dark. We drive to this little tiny cottage that we've rented. And uh, we move in. We have no furniture. So we're all sleeping on the floor in the living room that first night. And uh, it's New Year's Eve, and about 11.30, quarter to 12, we hear gunshots. We hear fireworks. The next morning, I read the paper, realize in L.A., people shoot guns into the air to welcome the new year in. Well, I didn't know that. I thought at any minute, the Crips are going to be at our front door. <laughs> they know we're here kind of thing. You know, and it's, it was just... It was the trip from hell. Now, we as a family look back at that story and we tell it totally differently. Dad, remember when the back window imploded on the car? <laughs> yeah, and you got so frustrated and, and we had to tape it. Remember 
the hotel we stayed at in Vegas? Oh, was that creepy? You know, and we tell it in a way that we laugh at it. I bet you have stories like that. The camp trip from hell that rained the whole time. And now you talk about it. Remember the night we had to sleep in the car because it was raining and our sleeping bags got soaking wet? You know, we, t we retell the story from a different perspective and we see it differently. We laugh at it. In fact, it becomes this incredible bonding experience for our family. The hell of that trip allowed us to become best of friends with our black Muslim neighbors who loved us and took us under their wing and helped us adjust to Pasadena. The hell of that trip allowed us front seat right on the curb for the Rose Bowl parade, you know? And the hell of that trip allowed me to get ordained as a minister. We retell stories, and the retelling repurposes the story. That's what Jesus is going to do in the story that we're going to look at today. Can I get the passage up here? I want to look... For some of you, it may be familiar. It's a story of uh, the Samaritan woman that's at a well and meets Jesus. Uh, but let me set up the story. Jesus has been in Judea. So here's a little geography lesson. Judea's here. The Jordan River kind of runs like this. Galilee's up here. And between the two is Samaria. Okay. Jesus is going to go from Judea up to Galilee. And it starts out by saying, now he had to go through Samaria. That's not true. That would be like me saying, I want to go from Ascent to uh, Coors Field, and I have to go through Longmont. If I were to say that to you, you would think, well, he must have to go to Longmont because he's got to do something there before he gets to Coors Field. Because it's not the direct route. It's not the chosen route. It's not the route you would take. What that sentence is saying is Jesus had to go out of his way for this encounter to happen. Now, keep in mind, it's fashionable to say Jesus is a good teacher. We like to say that about him because he, he talks about love and being nice to, you know, your grandparents and, you know, just love. I want to say that doesn't cut it for me because a good teacher can't be flawed in their most fundamental teaching and be called good. Let me tell you, let me explain what I mean by that. You know what? was one of Jesus' primary teaching was about himself. And he would say this, if you've seen me, you've seen God. If you know me, you know God. If you hear me speak, you're hearing God speak. If uh, you obey me, you're obeying God. Hey, if you're ashamed of me, you're ashamed of God. If you reject me, 
You reject God. That was his fundamental teaching. And we call him a good teacher. He is a good teacher because he's telling us who he is. Earlier in the Gospel of John, it'll say this. No one's ever seen God except the only Son who lives in the closest intimacy with the Father. He's made the Father's heart known to us. Jesus is the window into seeing the very heart of God. I've often heard in church that Jesus is God. Jesus is Godlike. Try this on for size. God is Jesus-like. Let that settle here a little bit. God will treat you the way Jesus treated people. Jesus had to go through Samaria. Why don't we uh, flip to the uh, highlighted deal? He had to go through Samaria. He was tired from the journey. He'd been traveling, hiking for six hours. It's now the hottest part of the day. And he camps out by this watering hole, this well in the middle of this town. Um, but notice this. Where are his friends? Jesus sent 12 guys to go grocery shop for lunch for 13 people. Who does that? He sends the 12 guys away, go, go buy lunch. He had to go through Samaria. He sends them away. And then along comes a Samaritan woman. Now, a little history here. The Samaritans were despised by the Jews, hated them. In fact, Jesus, by walking into Samaria, could not go to the temple to pray. He would be unclean. He'd have to offer a sacrifice to become clean again because he had stepped into Samaria. Sort of reminds me of uh, Woody Hayes back in the days, the old days of the Ohio State-Michigan uh, rivalry. When Ohio State played in Ann Arbor, Woody Hayes would have his team stay in a hotel in the Ohio, just on this side of the Michigan border. So they'd stay in Ohio. And they'd gas up the bus with an Ohio gas station because he refused to let any of his money go to Michigan taxes. Oh, now that's sort of comical. Uh, Coach McCartney used to jump on people for wearing red because it reminded him of Nebraska. You know, those are athletic rivalries. But there are deeper rivalries. There are deeper conflicts. Think of uh, left versus right, conservative versus liberal. Think of gay and straight. Think of Western and ISIS. Think of groups that had deep animosity. That's what's going on here. So it's not just Jesus going out of his way. Jesus is significantly going out of his way and entering enemy territory with the bad people. And, he, and so he's there, and not only is he there, look what he says to this woman. Can I have a drink? Can you help me out here? I'm dying of thirst. Doesn't lecture her, doesn't tell her why Samaritans are bad. He meets her 
at the well with a very human request. I'm thirsty. Uh, in case we missed it, the woman says, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. What are you talking to me for? Jews didn't talk to Samaritans. A Jewish husband wouldn't talk to his Jewish wife in public. And a Jewish man wouldn't talk to a strange woman in public. And Jesus just stepped over all of those appropriate, acceptable, purity lines to meet this woman, to listen to her story, and to help her retell it. Okay, let's, let's keep going, and I'll try to speed this up again. So uh, Jesus answers, if you knew the generosity of God and who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink, and I'd give you fresh, living water. Everyone who drinks the water in this well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks my water, the water I have to give them, will never thirst again. Wow. Listen to him. He, he starts a conversation based on being thirsty in water, and now... He's using that as a springboard into something deeper. But so that, that's what I'm going to say about that. So let's keep going. We've got to move here. So the woman says to him, sir, give me this water so I won't be thirsty again. And I don't have to keep coming to this well to draw water. Wow, you've got some kind of secret formula water that if I drink it, I don't have to come back here again. She's thinking physical water. Jesus is beginning to tease her with something deeper. Water's your felt need. Thirst is your felt need. But there's something so much more important going on here. So, uh, so then he says to her, why don't you give me the yellow here? Um, go call your husband and come back. And she says, I have no husband. Jesus says to her, good answer. You answered that right. Um, you, the fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you said is quite true. And her response is, oh, you're a prophet. Okay. I have very bad knees. And there was a time when I could, I, they'd wake me up in the middle of the night. It was just terrible pain. So I go and see Andy Pruitt at Boulder Center for Sports Medicine. He agrees to see me, puts me up on this little bed, and he looks at my knee, and I, I tell him, my, my knee's killing me. And he goes, well, does it hurt right? And he put his thumb on just a small part of my knee, and I came up out of the bed that I was laying on. He just nailed the source of the pain. And he looked at me and he goes, yep, you need a knee replacement. <laughs> oh, boy, oh, boy. But he put his finger right on it. That's what Jesus is doing here. Well, go get your husband. You really want something deeper? There's something in the way. Go get your husband. Now, there have been, there's two different ways of interpreting what happens here. The main way that if you've been studying the Bible, you've probably heard is that this woman is an adulteress. She's uh, been married. She cheats on her husband. Her, she gets divorced. 
uh, she finds somebody else, she has problem with intimate relationships, she can't sustain a relationship, she's hard-hearted, she's allowed her promiscuity to dominate who she is and what her story is. And she's so bad that she has to come at noon to the well. The respectable women come at sunrise. She comes at noon because she's so despicable. That's one way this story can be told. There's another way of looking at this story. In the first century, a woman could not divorce her husband. And if, in fact, she were an adulteress, she would have been executed. Women couldn't divorce their husbands. Women were just a step above the family dog, um, the cattle that the family owned. They were more property than a person. This woman had been rejected five times by a man that was her husband. Either rejected in divorce or her husband died. But either way, five times. And now she's with somebody that's taking care of her because her husband was her life insurance policy and when he died, she was abandoned. She was on her own. Somebody else took her in to help her. Okay, you got two different ways of looking at this woman. Either way, Jesus interrupts her life. Is she hard-hearted? Is she prideful? Is she arrogant and promiscuous? Or is she abandoned, victimized, lost? Either way, Jesus interrupts. In those days, good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. This is bad. She must be bad. She lives in abandonment and shame or hard-heartedness and pride. Either way, Jesus encounters her. Let's go to the next deal. It is who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is out looking for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. Do you get what he's saying there? You don't have to be good enough to be my friend. You have to be yourself. That's what he's saying to the woman. He looks at this woman who feels like she's worth nothing, and he's telling her, you're worth more than you know to me. And who's the me that's talking? If you hear me, who are you hearing? God. This is God doing this to this woman who's despised by the Jewish people. In fact, when, when the 12 guys come back from their grocery shopping, they're appalled that he's talking to this person. But you remember in the previous chapter of John, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him, this Samaritan woman is one of those whoever's. She's one of his. 
in the first chapter, John writes, he came to his people, his own people rejected him, but whoever received him, whoever believed in his name, he gave them the power to be a child of God. He adopted them into his family. This is Jesus adopting this woman that everybody else had written off into his family. Let's look at the last slide. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's the kind of people the Father's looking for. Look what the woman does. She leaves her water jar and she runs to the people who've rejected her and says, come meet this guy. One of the first evangelists in the New Testament is this woman. Come meet this guy who knows my secret. That's not what it says. He told me everything I've ever done. He knows my secret. Hasn't condemned me. He's not repulsed by me. He didn't reject me. In fact, he treated me like an equal. Can I have a drink, please? Wow. Okay, that's, that's the story of this woman. She had a secret. Jesus enters her life and wants to retell her story. Not so unlike us. Do you have a secret? Do you have something in your life that sort of rocks your boat? Do you know that God wants to retell your story? Do you know that he wants to repurpose those memories, those failures, the feuds you've been in, the brokenness that you've encountered in your life, the sins that either have been done to you or you have done to others? Jesus wants to enter into that mess just like he entered into her mess and repurpose it, retell it. There was a, a project, an art project, that was done in uh, New York City. This person came up with this idea all around different subway stations. He uh, put up this sign and a, a bunch of self-addressed stamped postcards. And uh, this, is, this was the message that, uh, that he had over the postcards. He wanted people to share a secret. On the postcards below, anonymously contribute a secret to this project. What's a secret that you carry with you in your life? Put it on this postcard. You can uh, decorate it any way you want. It's actually an art project, so be creative, be brief, be legible, but anonymously share a secret. The uh, artist that was doing this was blown away by the response, so much so that there are three or four coffee table books that have been printed on the, uh, with the postcards that have been sent to him. The secrets of people like you and me were sent to this man under the cover of anonymity. Uh, I've asked Becky to come up here, and she's going to play, and I want you to see 
some of the secrets that people wrote in and see if any of them jog anything in your own life. Thank you.
Thank you, Becky. Before I came up here, the last song that we sang together had this in it. God of salvation, you chased down my heart through all my failures and pride. And as you speak, a hundred billion failures disappear. Is our only hope that we can speak our secret into an envelope and seal it? Really? A couple weeks ago, Jim gave a message about how he rediscovered a song and he'd be singing, I love you, Lord, in his car. And his point was that Jesus met him and meets us in our deepest low. Jesus isn't afraid to get dirty. He isn't afraid of our mess. We don't have to dress up for him. He meets us right where we are. But make no mistake about this. He doesn't intend for us to stay there. But he meets us where we are so that he can repurpose us, retell our stories, so that we could do and be something and someone who's meaningful. What about you? Have you been keeping a secret from somebody? Worse yet, have you been keeping a secret from yourself? Um, we have great therapists in our church who would love to meet with you and help you unpack some of the really deep stuff. I, I don't want to make light of some of our secrets. Some of them are a huge knot that will take time to untie. We have great therapists that can help you do that. We have a prayer team that will help you pray about it and through it. And we have a God that's not appalled by who you are. The light shines in the darkness. His light shines in our darkness. Darkness won't put it out. He meets us where we are without rejecting us, without ridiculing us, without humiliating us. What a God he is that he wants something so much better for us. May God bless whatever you think as a result of this passage. If you hear anything, hear that God wants to retell your story that he meets you where you are, but he has a great dream for your life, that you're worth it. He's the friend who will say to you, I don't know what I'd do without you. Amen? Amen.